Welcome to People in Exile, where we have conversations, host interviews, discuss books, and engage with the Bible to help believers live out their faith in an unbelieving world. Welcome to this episode of People in Exile. I am your host for this episode, Chris Chambers, and I am joined, as usual, with two men. These two men are named... The Ben Ellis. The Ben Ellis and... I'm just Andrew Chamberlain. Just Andrew Chamberlain. So we have the Ben Ellis and I'm just Andrew Chamberlain. And of course, Chris Chambers. And we are here to continue our uh, discussion of the Sermon on the Mount. Before we do that, what I did want to mention, because we're going to be talking through the Sermon on the Mount, of course, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, here in, uh, in, in, in a lot of detail uh, over the next few weeks. And so we have a few books that we are going to be giving out uh, over the next few weeks. And so uh, how, how does somebody uh, get one of these books? What's the, what's the rule? Well, the rule is this. You first, you need to, when we post this on Facebook, you need to like it, like the, uh, the post, which is pretty simple, and then go and share it. So if you like our, when we post the pod on Facebook, if you like it and then you share it, you will be in the running to win the books. And what books you got for them, Chris? So we have three books, and we're going to give multiple copies out of each. And so the first one is Studies in the Sermon on the Mount by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I believe every one of us has a copy of this particular book, right? I know I do. Yes, sir. Uh, interesting fact about uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is he was actually a medical doctor uh, before he uh, uh, decided as, to— As opposed to a theological doctor. Exactly. The second one is uh, John Stott. Uh, ben, you ever heard of him? Uh, once or twice. Yes, and, once or twice. Uh, and his, of course, is the message of the Sermon on the Mount, and so we're going to give uh, a couple of copies of I think that an- away. Antonio Gates was a big fan of his, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Well, so, and then the uh, the last one here is D. A. Carson, um, and it's uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and his confrontation with the world. This is actually a study of Matthew's chapter five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. So. Uh, that's that one, but we'll couple, give out a couple bonus chapters. There. Yeah, that's a couple right. Bonus that's right. chapters. So uh, anyway, that's what we're going to be doing. So definitely like, share, comment. Uh, how about like review, like reviews on like Apple or something? Sure. I mean, all that stuff's great. But right now, our contest has been set. Like and share. But the reviews are great. I would like to say one thing before we jump into the Sermon on the Mount. Just as a reminder, we are people in exile, and so the reason we're looking at these scriptural studies is the best way to be a person of the kingdom of God right here, right now, is looking at God's Word and applying it. So that's why we're doing this. So excited to do it with you guys. So as we as we uh, get started here, this is kind of where we're going in this particular episode. At least here's a thought at the outset. We'll see if we, if we uh, follow or not. We're going to go a brief outline of the sermon, all right, uh, actually by John Stott, right out of the book that we'll be giving away. Uh, and then we have uh, five uh, interpretations, right, uh, of the Beatitudes in particular. So we'll take a look mm-hmm. at that uh, and talk through those five interpretations, why they, uh, they do or do not make sense and work uh, as far as, you know, in the, in the context of all of Scripture. And then we're going we're gonna to move into um, the first Beatitude, and that is, of course, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So that's kind of where we're going, or at least where we think we're going uh, today. Sound good, Ben? Sure, that sounds great. We'll see if we make it. Fantastic. Do you think we'll make it? What are, any bets? Um, I think we will get there. We you have know, we have a tendency to wander though. Here, here's uh, here's one thing I will mention. Today is November the second, two thousand and twenty. That means boom. Yes, that means tomorrow is uh, November the third, uh, two thousand and twenty. So I just wanted to let you know that tomorrow, yeah. November the third. Any significance? A little bit. Big day tomorrow. Big day, big day. Last chance to vote. So real quick before we jump into the beatitudes again, here we go. Some prognostication. Uh, uh oh. <laughs> 
we'll get everybody on uh, on record here. Uh, we have, of course, uh, uh, President uh, Trump v. Uh, former Vice President Biden. Uh, that's who's on the uh, the ballot, and uh, a lot of folks have already voted. Yeah, uh, a lot yeah. of folks still. Will, Sumter uh, County, I heard this morning, is at eighty three, almost eighty four percent. Yeah, it's really incredible. Voting. So I'll go ahead and lead out, and uh, again, I'm going to follow the polls. The polls have typically been uh, been accurate, except for 2016. The polls are saying Biden's winning big, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and say that's what we uh, we end up with. Now I will say this: I don't Biden. think yeah, I don't think we're going to know that by tomorrow night. Gotcha. Uh, and again, we're not we're not saying this I'm, is. I'm who, just hoping we know by inauguration day. There you go. Yes, they, which which again is not a crazy thing to say. Uh, but uh, again, we're not saying who we want to win. We're saying who we think is going to win. Right. Those are the those are, that's the differentiation. So I, I think uh, I think Biden will uh, will win according to the polls. Or else, uh, can we ever trust the polls again? I, I think we pull at 2016 again. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'll All be right. honest with you. Uh, you know, and I and I get the the mentality of where we are, and you know our our specific context and culture. Uh, we live uh, in a, and I think a very, it's safe to say we live in a fairly Trump supportive community uh, in, our, in our world. But I think the reality is, is that uh, like in 2016, I think, I don't know that the polls are as indicative as we'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you say, when you say it's a kind of a more Trump heavy um, based on my personal uh, survey, uh, I think it's five to two Trump over, uh, Biden. Well, also, well, I, I, was, that, was that in your household or no, no, no. I, that's <laughs> the out in front of his office? Yeah, it's actually based upon some folks yesterday. Uh, there were five Trump supporters on the right and there were two Biden supporters. So uh, based on that, I mean, that's pretty hard, hard, uh, hard and fast uh, surveying right there. Right. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I will say Hernando, I was a political science major. So Hernando County, Hernando County in registered Republicans versus registered Democrats from 16 to 20. We have went up almost nine to one registered Republicans to Democrats. And wow. so that's where, that's where a lot of people are saying Trump's got Trump's going to win this because like Pennsylvania, I think it's two to one throughout the entire Commonwealth. It's not a state Commonwealth, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you got Florida is very similar in that registration numbers, you know, and so it's going to be interesting, but I, I predict Trump will win. I think it will actually be larger than it was in 16. I think he's going to have more electoral votes. I think he had three Oh six or something like that. in 16, I think, I think he's going to be in that 314, 315 range. Wow. Hmm. All right. Well, there you go. There you've had it. Uh, so we got uh, one of us that says uh, they believe Biden will uh, will end up having it too, says uh, Trump. So we will find out in the hopefully tomorrow night, but most, it likely, ain't happening tomorrow most night. likely it'll be weeks. Uh, if not I mean, I months. think you're going to have an idea, but I don't yeah. think they're, you know, like Pennsylvania where they say like they don't even start counting their until after. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be, be a bit. It's yeah. going to be a bit. All right. So anyway, enough of that. Back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount here. So uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be giving out one of the books is by uh, John Stott on this uh, particular sermon. And he- here's the outline as he uh, has has laid it out. He sees the first section, which is really what we're starting with, uh, on Christian character. Right? I th- think we'd all agree with that, right? Uh, we have the Beatitudes, uh, a way to look. This is what Christian character uh, would look like, right? Uh, what true righteousness is, is another way to, to say that. The second piece, um, starting in verse 13 through 16, which actually Pastor Ben uh, or Ben uh, mentioned yesterday in his sermon, uh, we have the salt and light section, right? And he, uh, he looks at this as Christian influence, this section of Christian influence. Uh, the third section is on Christian righteousness. That's verse, verses 17 through 48. Uh, and then uh, starting in chapter 6, 1 through 18, he, he sees that as a Christian piety, and that's where we see about our giving and our praying and our fasting. Um, 
And then uh, the fifth uh, part is Christian ambition. This is verses 19 through 34. Um, Wearsby uh, actually says this is like our use of wealth. You know, what do we do with mm-hmm. our with our money? Uh, and then number six is Christian uh, relationships. This is chapter seven, one through twenty. Um, really, our judgment of ourselves and our judgment of others is that section there. So Christian relationships. And then number seven is Christian uh, commitment. This is verse twenty-one through the uh, twenty-seven. Um, really, God's judgment uh, of us is what we see there. So anyhow, just as a as an outline, I think it's kind of. It's, I think as we study through Scripture, it's good to know kind of the big picture. This is this is the overarching kind of context as we dig in and start really looking at individual verses. You know, keeping those things in mind, I think is important. Agree with that? Like from from a Bible study standpoint? No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like it's good a good uh, overview to look to keep them on. All right, so what, what, what I want us to talk about uh, now is these, uh, I've, I've kind of seen as I've been studying through this, there's five different interpretations, right, that, that we've seen over the years of the Beatitudes. You know, what in the world uh, does uh, all of this mean? I tell you what, let me, let me do this with the Beatitudes so we're all on the same page, know what, what we're talking about. What if I read through them real quick? Is that all right? Sure. All right, so uh, starting in chapter 5, uh, verse 3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were uh, before you. So that's the, that's the Beatitudes section, right, of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of what we'll be focusing on uh, here this morning, all right? Okay, so the, the, the five. I'll just mention the five, uh, and then I want us to kind of talk through them if we can do that, all right? The, sure. The, here, here's the, the way they, they run down. Number one is we have this idea that this is a perfectionist legalism, a perfectionist legalism. That's, that's, that's one way that you can interpret uh, all you know, the, the uh, Beatitudes. The second way is uh, looked at as the impossible ideal. The impossible, well, nobody could ever, you know, uh, attain uh, these things, the, the impossible ideal. Now, how we deal with that, of course, is going to, going to determine what, what in the world, uh, whether that works or not. But anyhow, number three, uh, it was only for Jesus's disciples during that time, specifically during that time. It doesn't, it wasn't meant for anybody beyond that. Here we are in 2020. Why are we even looking at it, right? That's the third one. Number four, it's uh, solely for the kingdom age. So it, it was outlined uh, now here on earth. However, uh, it won't actually take effect until uh, the kingdom age. And then the fifth is uh, looked as like the social gospel, right? I think we've we've talked through that um, certainly um, behind the scenes quite a bit. So those are the those are five of those things and uh, five different interpretations. And what I want us to do is kind of talk through uh, those. So number one, I'll start with the uh, the perfectionist legalism. This is the idea uh, that there are higher standards, right, for disciples, quote unquote, right? That'd be like clergy or monastic orders. Um, and true followers, right, should live on a level of righteousness above, quote unquote, normal Christians, right? Um, so that's perfectionist legalism. Well, um, one of the problems with this interpretation is that Jesus doesn't, right, teach two different standards for Christians, right? We don't see that. Uh, we do see di- a dichotomy in Scripture, right? We see you're either this or you're that. Uh, you're either on the broad road or the narrow road, but yeah, we but don't see that. The, Go ahead, the basic me. distinction there, there is like you're either lost or you're saved. Yeah. 
right? So, so Jesus, in, in fact, and the truth is, is that even given those distinctions, Jesus' standard for those two groups of people actually doesn't change. Uh, the, the, standard of, the standard of God's holiness is actually because we were, you know, it goes all the way back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Because we were created in his image, the standard of reflecting God's image and his holiness and his character and his nature is consistent for every piece of or every, every facet of his human creation. So that standard doesn't actually change. How we engage with it changes based on our relationship with Christ. But the standard itself doesn't change. So I think mm-hmm. in a, for so many reasons, this is, this is really an off-kilter way of, of looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So, so let me ask a question on this one. Is it, is it kind of like, are we saying this is a standard for like a higher grade of Christian? Those that are like, if you're thinking like a monk or a priest or something along those yeah. lines, is that kind of what yeah, they're Yeah, that's, that's the idea. So it's one. kind of like, um, you know, how we use... Timothy and Titus as our qualification for elder and deacons, mm-hmm. and they're kind of using this as a synonymous. Hey, if you're going to be the in the cloister, that is that my yeah, I think that's probably right. Okay, yeah. all right. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure I'm understanding yeah. you. Yeah. So um, Ben, you've already kind of showed your. You hand, said no, right? But, uh, I said no. Obviously, this is a this no is a go for you. What about you, Ben or uh, Andrew? Um, I don't think if the question is being asked, is this why? Jesus taught it and why we recorded it, my answer would be no. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's why. But, I mean, if we are saying, okay, this is a standard to live to for any Christian, I'm okay with that. But I don't think it's the – I mean, the easiest answer I can say is no. Yeah. You know, But at the same time, I don't think it's a bad, hey, let's look aim for this. Well, real, real quick, so you did mention Titus. You mentioned uh, you know, First Timothy uh, there as well as these uh, – here are the qualifications of a of an elder. Here's the qualifications of a deacon. Um, however, uh, truth be told, every Christian should ultimately strive for right those uh, those qualifications. Right? We, oh, we yeah. agree with that. Yeah. All of us should be striving for that. That that's ultimately what we all should be living out. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But in order to lead the church, in order to lead in a local church, right? This is what we want to see. Yeah, I think. But I think the thing here, though, is that especially when we're comparing into the context of T- Timothy and Titus, the struggle is is that Timothy and Titus were looking at characteristics and behaviors that a person ought to hold. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we can assume that same context in the in, in the, the nature of the beatitudes mm-hmm. because I think Jesus is doing something fundamentally different. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. One of the one Which, of the and I'm sorry to be like KG no, no, no. cryptic, yeah, yeah, but, but I don't want to run us off. Yeah, track yeah. Yet. No, it's good. Uh, we, we could easily run off track. We, we do quite often, in fact. Ben's already foreshadowing something. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so the perfectionist legalism, we look at that, and I mean, there's this other idea. It's got uh, a bad name. Yeah, yeah, it's not, a, not great. But w- when, we, when we look at this idea, uh, I think another thing that comes to my mind anyway is this idea of like you get a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, right? Like you become a Christian, but then at some point thereafter— Right, there's some uh, some mm-hmm. churches that that believe this denominations that 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 believe this, and that suddenly you know there's a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's when mm-hmm. you really start seeing a uh, a difference. Mm-hmm. Real quick, do, do we we buy into to this? Idea? No, no, uh-uh. that's the that's a very easy one for me. Yeah, no, no, no. And why? Well, I mean, you look at uh, just look at the early church in Acts and what happened there. You mm-hmm. know, the 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 coming of the Holy Spirit and the baptism are synonymous. There's not mm-hmm. they don't they're not two separate events. Anything you want to add, Ben? Andrew's right. Andrew's right. There we go. <laughs> I haven't heard that out of Ben's mouth very often, so look at that. <laughs> it's a new day and people in exile. Look at that, man. Unity. Look at that already. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Now, another thing that, that I'll just mention here, because I think it's a theme that we'll see throughout, is uh, we must not read into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, nor the Beatitudes, a, a salvation by works, right? And I think it's easy to do that, right? Uh, we, we look at this, we see, well, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so it's easy to kind of, let's, let's reverse engineer that. I want to have the kingdom of heaven, therefore I need to be poor in spirit. All right, I'm going to strive to be poor in spirit, mm-hmm. right? In and of myself, it's impossible, right? Well, and I think and I think very clearly that's that's why Scripture goes to great length to differentiate between how we live and what we how we live before salvation mm-hmm. and after salvation. That distinction I think is very clear in Scripture, and I think that's exactly why it's because we can't hammer ourselves into this. This mm-hmm. isn't something we can force ourselves into and and grasp onto. Uh, which is which is ultimately why, we, and I hope, or we, we'll probably talk about this when we get to actually talking about the poor in spirit. But ultimately, that's why I think the concept of the poor in Luke is is referring into the same context of mm-hmm. the poor in spirit versus an actual physical poorness. Yeah, because that physical poverty is is not what's at what's at stake in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, the second, the second one I wanted us to look at is it's called the impossible ideal, right? Uh, so this is uh, this was widely accepted after Martin Luther, so the great reformer. We just uh, got past the Halloween or others known as what, Reformation Day, right? Uh, widely accepted after Martin Luther, this sermon uh, functions like the Old Testament law, forcing people to realize their sinfulness and helplessness and so turn uh, to God. So we we can see this and. Think of, uh, you know, we, we, when you look at the law, when you look at the law of God, you mm-hmm. think of it almost like an MRI machine. In that, right, an MRI is going to identify there is a problem. However, just by going into the MRI, it's not going to fix the problem. It's mm-hmm. only going to identify the problem. So the law is similar in that way in that it's going to— That's a to, really good example. Yeah, it's not mine. Uh, Chandler's the first person I heard that with. That's Matt really Chandler. good. Uh, so you look at it. You can see there is an issue here. But, the, again, that's not what's going to ultimately fix that. There's still something else that is required in order uh, to uh, to get fixed. So that's—, that's the, the, the ideal uh, idea, rather, that we have here with the impossible ideal. Now, this sounds pretty good. Uh, if we look at it, when, when we see, yeah, Ben's shaking his head. <laughs> Here's where we could run into some problems. So uh, we are called to be holy, right, as our Father in heaven is holy, number one. Number two, Jesus promised to send the helper, right, the Holy Spirit, and he promised to be with us to the end of the age of the world, right? And we see that in the, in the Great Commission. So we should still strive for these ideals, right? Jesus uses hyperbole, which was an accepted teaching method in Jesus' time to stress moral urgency, uh, not suggesting uh, one should actually, for example, talk about the full uh, Sermon on the Mount, cut off one's hand, right? So um, if we look at this as an impossible ideal, some individuals take that and say, well, that's an impossible ideal. Nobody other than Christ could ever live that. Therefore, I'm not even going to strive for those things. Agree, disagree. Well, I'll start with this one. So when I'm looking at these titles and I hear this one, okay, the, the title makes it harder for me. So I actually wrote it down and then I put it over to the margin, maybe, mm-hmm. because I'm like, I don't, I, you know, impossible, you know, kind of gives it that, okay, you can't get there. But if you look at the first beatitude, I mean, the first one just starts out with it exactly like we, we, we aren't there. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're spiritually bankrupt. You need something else, you know? So if we're looking at it like a, an approach from, can we do this in our own merit, our own flesh? No. But if we're looking at it from, hey, this is that MRI and you're going to need Christ and through Christ you can, then I would say, yeah, but I don't know if that's the direction that that this impossible idea is going. So I'm kind of like a maybe, but I don't know what the, you know, 
I think it kind of t- depends on what we do with this idea. If we look at it as it, it's merely an impossible ideal. If before, we're looking at it as a standard that can never be reached mm-hmm. ever by any way, then I'm mm-hmm. saying no, because why else is it put in Scripture? Yeah. I, I'd say no, because I don't think the rest of the Sermon on the Mount makes any sense if it's mm-hmm. an impossible ideal. If Jesus' goal right, is to say, okay, look, here's an impossible ideal. Uh, <laughs> now I'm going to give you two and a half more chapters of further impossible ideals, making it even worse for you. I don't know that that makes sense to me, right? Especially because in some contexts, like you look at you look at some of the other things that are coming down in, down the pipe in the Sermon on the Mount. His teachings on lust, his teaching on anger, his teaching on everything else that goes with that. It becomes really, really difficult to say, look, he set this impossible ideal. Now he's actually giving us a way to actually manufacture how we live because of that ideal. That seems dumb. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Like why would I, here's an impossible ideal. Now here's a way to live by that ideal that is impossible for you to obtain in the first place. And I'm going, what? Yeah, I guess the, the but to that though, if there is a but, it's like, okay. And I think it all comes down to how we're going to view that first beatitude. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal, you know, and, and um, you know, I don't want to give away too much there, but I think that's a big, you know, because on one side, yeah, I'm in agreement with what Ben said, but on the other side, I'm thinking, okay, if you read through, if you go to like, for example, the, uh, the fulfillment of the law, I think it's 520, I think is the, mm-hmm. the verse where he's like, okay. hey, your righteousness has now got to go higher than the, the Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, can you imagine what that audience was thinking then? Like, what? how are we going to do this? You know what I mean? So I, I do think if we're looking at it like, okay, it's harder for a rich man to enter, you know, the kingdom of heaven than it is a donkey to go through the eye of a needle. And then what's the very next race? With God, all things, things are, possible. are possible. So mm-hmm. I think there is some of this that is in this text. Like, look, I'm showing you how high the kingdom is. Of your own, of your flesh, it's not going to happen. That's already been proven, mm-hmm. but I am going to be your way. So that's my one pushback on this one. But see, even in that, though, you're, there's a redundancy, and, and the question becomes, is it a necessary redundancy? And I don't think, that, again, and again, I think Andrew's absolutely right in this, too. It all depends on how you understand that that first beatitude. If that first beatitude is something that you have to achieve, something you have to obtain, something you have to like do something to step into, then I think, yeah, sure, it's an impossible, it's an impossible, uh, uh, what do you call it, an impossible standard, impossible ideal. ideal. Yeah, it, whichever. I, but the reality is, is I don't understand that first beatitude that way. So that, if you're in again, Canada, I'm trying not to if, jump into my... If you're in Canada, it's impossible idea, I think. Yeah. Correct, correct. The, the, uh, uh, For our Canadian audience. Yeah, th- thank you, of course. Wide, wide pretty wide. Um, the <laughs> the um, Martin Luther, we talked about Martin Luther. We think about Martin Luther right. and we think about how, you know, his, his uh, uh, journey to faith, uh, you know, if you will, um, we see him, an individual who was striving to earn, right? Well, yes. I'm going, you know, remember we had the whole situation where he was, he was, uh, outside. It started to, you know, lightning and storm. Mm-hmm. And I, listen, I'll go into the, uh, the, the monastery. I'll become a monk, right? If you just get me out of this and, uh, to his word, true to his word, he did, uh, he did just that. And as he was studying, as he was reading, uh, you know, he, he was looking and, and he became really resentful towards God, right? Well, you know, you're, you're giving us this law yet. I can't fulfill this law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and he, he was beating himself. He's doing all the, all of these things. Uh, and it was, you know, not really until, you know, he looked at what Romans, uh, you know, it, one, it, yeah, yeah. which specifically says, um, you know, this is the gospel, yeah. right? which is mm-hmm. the power uh, of, uh, of salvation. Everyone who believes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and it kind of clicked in his head. It's like, Oh, wait a minute. Right. Like, like Andrew was saying, I can't 
uh, do this, but he can, right? Kind of, kind of that idea. So in, in that, I mean, I, I do see some, I do see some benefit. At the same time, it's like, okay, is, is it merely kind of being redundant? Is Jesus? Uh, trying to call, you know, call additional attention to that. And in some sense, I do see that in that, uh, you know, we see, for example, the Pharisees at this time, you know, we have all of these laws, what, 600 plus laws that they've, you know, ultimately had come up with just to prevent them from breaking, you know, the, the 10. The, yeah. And uh, so you have that kind of structure uh, in place. Um, and then we, 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 we look at this. Anyhow, I, 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 I do see some benefit here. Uh, for sure, because they were they were looking more at the conduct of the behavior and not as much as the heart. And we of course see Jesus get at the heart right yeah. mm-hmm. uh, throughout this uh, particular sermon. In, any other thoughts on that? We move forward. That's good. I think we should move right. forward. Move forward. So the next one says this: It's only for Jesus's disciples uh, at that time. This is uh, an Albert Schweitzer uh, who uh, who came up with this one. Uh, and he said that uh, uh, these teachings were only for the disciples who thought Jesus would return in their lifetime. Right, so these these were you know the twelve, uh, and that these moral demands are not for all time. Um, John Stott mentions here this is simply an interim ethic, right, which requires a total sacrifice for a short term or short time. Sacrifice is appropriate for a time of crisis. He's, he, when I say John Stott, he's not saying that he uh, uh, agrees with this. This is how he's defining no, he, it. He's just explaining it. Schweitzer's right. statement. Yeah. Exactly. And now what is the problem with this particular, the only for the disciples uh, uh, kind of interpretation? Well, Jesus makes no reference in this sermon to the end of the world. Uh, or to his return. Yeah. Right? So, so this is an easy one. No. I okay. mean, I mean, the the word of God's infinite, right? So, I mean, Correct. we you know, everything will come and go, but not the word of God. But the one thing. So, I think we can. We're all in agreement there, right? Uh, one thing I think we. But I do want to caution each one of us and every scholar or any person that's trying to study the scripture is that we do have to understand that context does matter mm-hmm. when this audience is hearing this. It mm-hmm. does matter. There are some things. I mean, I think you're going to get into this with Dallas Willard a little bit. Maybe I don't. I'm not sure, Chris. There are some things in every text that we do have to understand. There are, um, how do I put this? There are some th- things then that are not going to be necessarily the same now, but that doesn't change the meaning of the text for eternity. Like so. there are some universal principles that no matter what the text is, that there are some there are some universal principles that are that are there are play in the text. Yes, and there's also some I I would say, and I don't know if it's applicable to the Sermon on the Mount, but I think there's some local things that are not going to be the same, obviously, as today. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that doesn't. I mean, it's an easy I, answer. It's no. This yeah. it's an infinite text. And, right? and I think really, and again, I, we're not trying to tip our hand too much. But when you go to the end of the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives the parable of the guy who builds a house on mm-hmm. the sand versus the guy who builds mm-hmm. his house on the rock. And he says, "Anyone who hears my words and put them into practice, like the guy who builds his house on a rock." I, I feel like anyone. It, I yeah. feel like I feel like Jesus is kind of walking away from this this interpretation of what's happening in mm-hmm. the Beatitudes. Yeah. yeah. All right. The fourth one then is uh, is the kingdom age. Now, this is the idea, uh, you know, and, and I guess dispensa- dispensationalism, right, would teach mm-hmm. this one uh, that these laws are for the kingdom age, the millennium, right, and are only an example for us in our days. So we see this; it's an example for us, and there can be some striving for us to even uh, attain these things. However, these aren't things that we can actually carry out at all at this point in time. But doesn't Jesus say the kingdom of God is at hand? Is at hand. It's near. It's, it's right now. So I don't know. In fact, I, he just finished saying that. In Matthew four, yeah. So the thing I don't understand, Chris, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't okay. mean to cut you off. Is it, so I think you've already answered this. They're just saying it's completely for the future. They're not looking at the kingdom of God now, right? Mm-hmm. In this view, 
Yeah. So it's only for the future. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's the idea Jesus offered the kingdom to the Jews, right? But the Jews rejected it. Uh, thus, the reality is postponed until the second coming of Christ. That's uh, the idea here. Hmm. Now, I think it's I think it's odd that the values of the kingdom age would be different from the values of the church age. Like even from a dispensational mindset, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Why would the values? Why? And because Jesus, we've already just said. Jesus is teaching on character, right? Why would the character of somebody in the kingdom be different from the character of somebody in the church? The only thing I, I would understand. say the, to this one is no, nobody at this table is a dispensationalist. I would, And we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ that are dispensationalists. I'd love to hear their take on that. You know, that'd be kind of neat to, to hear. Because I think it's easier for us to be like, no, nah, this is not it. But I'd love to hear somebody who who's a true follower of Christ, explain it. I, I think, and, and again, the, the problem with this particular one that, that you know, was discussed in the commentary, I think you've already hit on it, but is nothing in Jesus' teaching ever exempted the disciples then or now from these principles, right? They are principles for disciples of all ages. Yeah. Um, all right, so, so that's that. Now, the last one then um, is uh, this social gospel, and I think this is uh, particularly applicable uh, you know, in, in the day and age that we live in. Absolutely. Um, but uh, this idea here, right? Uh, uh, so Protestant uh, liberals have used the ethics of the sermon as a, uh, a mandate for the church to, um, to us, uh, I'm sorry, to usher in the kingdom of God by means of reforming society. Let me say that again. Protestant liberals have used this ethic of the sermon as a mandate for the church to usher in the kingdom of God by means of reforming society. Well, what are the problems with this? The teachings of Jesus here cannot be separated or isolated from all of his other teachings about himself, about evangelism, about personal faith, uh, and about uh, devotion. So let's talk about that. When we take we, we, we look at these things, we say, hey, listen, here's what we need to do. If all of us can strive for this, right, uh, then then we can usher in the kingdom age. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I mean, you kind of took me off. I was thinking something else for a second. So let me let me let me rewind for a second. Question. When we're saying social gospel here, I want to be very clear. We're talking about not the gospel of, hey, Jesus is the only way. Right. We're talking of Jesus plus Let's bring in all these. Yeah, other I, I, I think it, it incorporates the idea that Jesus wasn't necessarily right the Savior, right the Messiah, the Christ, uh, but he was a great teacher, right? He was a great teacher. He taught a lot of good things. There's a lot of good, uh, good uh, teaching points. So, so the the challenge I have with the social gospel is this: is that like, or because it's for me, it just seems I don't know. It's it's, it's not very interesting. I don't think. It's, and it's like, well, the gospel, I mean, we should bring societal change. I mean, good grief. If you're bringing a dead man to life who loved sin and now he loves righteousness, I mean, I would think, right, that that would bring a change in, in culture and society. So if the social gospel is trying to do that the backwards way of like, let's bring the change and then that saves a man, that just seems utterly pointless to me. Yeah, I love the, I love the old analogy, like you, you, can't, you can't clean a fish before you get it in the boat. And that's kind of like how I feel the social gospel, especially articulated the way Andrew just did. That's that's exactly how I feel like we're trying to do, trying to clean the fish before you get it in the boat. And that's yeah. And what I don't understand, and and I don't mean to rant on this, but it's really not interesting to me because it just seems backwards. But is there something there that that I'm missing that's attractive to people? I, th- I think what makes it attractive is that, from a social gospel perspective, is the idea that we can do good things, and by by doing good things 
we can bring pattern, people into patterns of life that also do good things. And then in seeing that pattern of life of good things, we can bring them to the cross. Like, I don't know that that was like what, what modern liberalism wanted to do by the end of that conversation, but I think that's where it started. But again, I, I, again, like you, I believe it's backwards. But so, but there is a part of that. I think we would all believe in from a family level. I mean, like Deuteronomy teaches what teach these things to your children, you know? So there, there is this idea of that. If you will create, you know, the, the, the things that God has ordained, for example, church and family, let's use just those two. If we will do those according to God's way, that creates a better environment for people to believe. Right. But the do, but again, even in the Deuteronomy passage, it's immediately preceded by the Ten Commandments, right? So, so there's this yeah, articulation but I'm just, of how you have a relationship with God and then the articulation of how you pass that along. Yeah, I guess so, what I'm saying is the, I'm trying to find an agreement point with them. It's like, okay, yeah, but it still seems you got to have redeemed people for that to even happen. Let me, let me mention yeah. what James Montgomery Boyce says about this particular issue, the problem with the social gospel. This is, this is how he articulated it. He said, it was aware of Christ's ethic, right? But it tried to preach this ethic to those who were not possessed of Christ's life. Well, yeah. Right? yeah. That's ultimately the issue. Uh, you're trying to get individuals to live in such a way that's impossible. It's completely anti everything that is. Is in, this in really popular nature. today? Well, I, I, I don't know how how popular it is or not. I, I, I can tell you this. I know that uh, uh, Hillary Clinton actually has a podcast. I don't know if y'all uh, heard her podcast. Can't say I've uh, listened it, to that one. All right. So she, uh, I, I, I turned it on because uh, she was having a conversation with about faith, and I thought, oh, this might be interesting. And uh, essentially, it was it was all about the the social gospel and how, uh, and it wasn't really about any. It wasn't about any kind of personal transformation. It was more about transforming uh, kind of so, community around. So I got one more point on this, and I'll be done. Has anybody in here read or done anything with Jordan Peterson? I think he has. I haven't. So Jordan Peterson, you know, he kind of got popular in the conservative circles and all that. But anyway, he makes this point that I think is really fascinating. He talks about how a lot of people try to control the outside environment because they can't control their own inside environment. Mm -hmm. And I kind of see that in the social gospel there. Like, I mean, maybe I'm impugning guilt on people. I don't know. But it seems that if we're more concerned about creating societal change, but we're not concerned about our own heart, then that seems like we're just deflecting because we don't want to look, <laughs> we don't want to see the ugliness inside. So I don't know, aside, whatever that may be, I'm just kind of interesting after what you said with yeah. good old Hillary. So let, 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 let's, let's say this. All right. So we've, we've kind of, these are five, you know, are these are only five options. Chris? Well, no, no, no. These are five major oh, okay. interpretations that, uh, that we've seen over, over the years. Obviously, you know, we've, we've found some issues with all of those. So if, uh, if these are not the proper interpretations, right. Um, how should we interpret the Sermon on the Mount, and, and in particular the Beatitudes? I think the Sermon on the Mount on the whole is is an articulation of how we live the gospel, and the Beatitudes themselves are the gospel. Okay. Like this is this is Jesus once again foreshadowing the gospel far in advance without actually telling the gospel because he hasn't yet died on a cross yet. I mean, so there is sort of a, a chronological issue at stake, right? Because Jesus is trying to, again, declare his own state how this character is going to happen in the life of, of, of a human being, right? But at the same time, recognizing full well that he hasn't yet embodied the gospel chronologically uh, in order to do that and so make that a reality. Let's do this. I, th- I think this, is, this, is, this can be helpful. Um, when we think of the gospel, right, typically we think of right, the, uh, the, the fact that God, right, uh, put mm-hmm. on the likeness of sinful flesh that became, was born of a virgin, uh, mm-hmm. lived the perfect life that we uh, are unable to live, died the death that we deserve, 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, was ultimately buried three days later, raised from the dead, right? Conquered death, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually uh, ascended uh, up to heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. Uh, and we are placing our faith in him as the Messiah, as our Savior, uh, as the only one who could ever reach these things, right? Are we, are we good on that as far as the, the gospel? Yep. All right. Yep. So when you say this is a way for the gospel mm-hmm. to be um, understood, uh, to be understood, let's 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 walk through that real quick. And, okay, and here's, so here's where we'll actually get into the beatitudes. Let's actually look at that. But we'll do it from the from the perspective of this idea of the gospel. Go ahead, Ben. Okay. So um, the, the the reality here, right? So we start with the gospel. The, normally, when we start with the gospel, we start very clear that we are all sinners, right? So how much more poor in spirit could you be? Separated from the life of God, doomed to eternal an eternal damnation, completely separated from that. Your heart is still open and rebellious before God, so you have no intention. I mean, how much more pitiful and pathetic could you possibly question be? Question though, question though. Um, if, if so, what you're saying is everybody would fall into that category. All Correct. of us are sinners. So, Correct. what is it that would that would specifically give the poor in spirit spirit right? What would be blessed about the poor in spirit that would ultimately lead to theirs as the kingdom of heaven? If everyone would fall in that camp. Okay. Well, is there any way to inherit the kingdom of heaven without being poor? in spirit no no i guess my no, question no, i understand okay is there any way to inherit the kingdom of heaven without being poor in spirit no. is there any way you can possibly be human and not be poor in spirit no okay so this is why the gospel is a universal offer to everybody okay right and that's that's what it is i would say time out on that one i just want to i want to make one point here it comes i'm not going to do it now <laughs> i will later but i just want to imp- there is a time out there go ahead go ahead ben no because i mean because this is the really the reality is is that is that everybody is poor in spirit. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But the, the question becomes, and this is what steps into, into the next beatitude, which is... Well, hold on, before those we get to the next... Mourn, yes. Before we get there, though, let me, let me, let's look at the rich young ruler, right? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and rich young ruler says to Jesus, hey, good uh, teacher, right? Uh, tell me, uh, how can I uh, inherit the kingdom of God? And what does he tell him? He says, uh, keep the law and commandments. No, he tells them, oh, yeah, right. well. That's what he does. No, he does that's it. what he does first. Okay, he does yeah. first. Keep, okay, he, and he said, okay, you're right. Right. And then he tells them what? Uh, go and sell all that you have. All that you have, give it to the poor, yep. and then come follow me. Yep. Now, uh, if we look at that, was he was he, was he he telling this man, actually, literally go sell all that you have and then come follow me, or was there something else uh, at, at what he was saying there? Oh, no, actually, I think based on Jesus' commentary at the end of that conversation, he was absolutely telling the guy to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. For the purpose of what? Because that was the that was the inclination of his heart. Right. The, because because the the commentary is, and he went away he went away sad. Right. Because he had much wealth. Right. That was the commentary. Yes. Right. So his heart, his trust, his concept of himself was not poor in spirit. It's that his wealth justified him as a human being, and because he had been obedient to all the other constructs of the law. Except for this factor where he had developed his own pride, I would argue that the, the problem is, is that he was never poor in spirit in the begin with. And okay. he went away dejected because his pride was actually continuing to separate okay. him from... Good, good, good. I, I, I definitely just want to make, wanted to make that distinction because, again, it seemed like you were saying everybody is poor in spirit. But, again, we point to a single well, again, individual there. Again, but what my point is, though, is that everybody ought to be. Okay, like, yeah, this yeah. Is, now, now, That's yes. a better the word. Issue, the issue is, is that our pride prevents us from understanding our condition. Because I think you got to be careful with everybody is because if everybody is, then everybody would get the blessing well, and everybody's not getting the blessing. Right. And, and, and again, here's where I think it is helpful to go over to the Luke a section for a minute. You see, not only did he give some blessings, but he also gave some woes, right? And specifically, yeah. he said, but woe to you who are what? 
rich, rich right? Yeah. For you have received your consolation, right? right. Uh, the idea, you know, and again, I, I think I think it's a proper interpretation to, to take a look at that and say, we have poor in spirit, we have rich in spirit, um, uh, and these are individuals who are self-righteous, who think they can do it, who still believe they can attain mm -hmm. to the kingdom of mm -hmm. heaven. They still haven't gotten to the point where they are uh, a truly poor in spirit. Right. That's yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to throw us off for a loop here, but when you start going into the Luke, I mean, we can, it's good, but this is when you're going to start to see some of these other people have these ideas. For example, the only disciples of Jesus and certain things like that, because there are some variances there. So we, you and I, and we can, I'd say we can have that conversation. Uh, another well, only reason I'm saying that now is that we got to be careful because like when Luke, he, spe he specifies that poor, what mm -hmm. he doesn't say poor in spirit. He, right. he, he, he gives poor. Yeah. yeah. So we got to, I'm just putting a little, yep. you know, yellow light so there. So back to you. So blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Ben, you right, were saying is, that leads us into. Well, so, leads us directly into the next character. But you, so have, to, you, you have to start there, right? There's right, a starting point is being poor in spirit. Absolutely. The, the, and, and the truth of the matter is we see over in Ephesians that everyone is dead in their trespasses, right? Sin, correct. And, and, and we know that there's some individuals, and I think we would look at our pre-conversion lives and we would say, wait a minute, uh, there was a point in which I didn't feel like I needed Correct. This and Absolutely. so, uh, uh, so ultimately, I was I was brought to a point where I mm -hmm. realized that I was poor in spirit. Right. right, and if the entire gospel is encapsulated just in the first beatitude, then all those criticisms are really, really important, okay. and that's true. But the reality is, is that this isn't the gospel in one line; it's mm -hmm. the gospel in however many beatitudes are actually. Are. It, so it's a very different concept from that point. So yeah. yes, while we inter how we interpret the first beatitude is extremely important. We have to remember that there is the contextual issue that comes into play as well. And, and I think it is important to, to make sure that we're looking at uh, the Beatitudes as a collective whole and Correct. not as individual. Yeah. Hey, I'm, if I'm poor in spirit, then I then I could enter the kingdom. That's all I'm going to look at. No, no, no. And, and it's also a progression, mm -hmm. right? I think uh, Lloyd Jones even talks about it and says, you, you see, it's a, it, it gets more and more difficult as we progress down the, uh, uh, this as well. Correct. So move forward to... You, Move forward to the next one, uh, the uh, uh, mourn, real quick. Which is blessed are those who mourn, because and there's the reality how would this of be a progression of the gospel? How well, would this, this is help a progression us to because understand? Because this is now that. an understanding of who you are in, okay. first, in, in, in the first beatitude. Okay. So now we understand the first beatitude. That first beatitude really begins to give really begins to give shape to the reality that our our state is pretty pathetic. It's pretty sad. It's pretty grim, actually. The fact that we're not only going to live and suffer in this world, but now we're also going to die and suffer eternally. That is a very grim perspective. And if you if you can't mourn that reality, if you can't mourn that that estate that you that you that you're resting in, uh, there's something very wrong with you. Right. So there is so there we have this that's the build in here, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed are those who mourn, right? And understanding what's going along with is, is we're, as we're going through each of these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That promise of the kingdom of heaven is the same thing that Jesus promises everybody who he talks to sin about, right? Look, you're sinful, but there's hope, mm -hmm. right? That's the hope. That's that forward-giving hope. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted, yeah. right? Blessed are those who mourn. The gospel is this deep and abiding comfort. Like, if I understand that I'm a sinner, I only have one hope. That hope is the kingdom of heaven. That hope is the kingdom of heaven. The bridge, the principalizing bridge to the kingdom of heaven is obviously the gospel. Therefore, that is the comfort, which leads me to a particular perspective in my own life. It means you understand that my meekness, whatever strength, whatever, pride, whatever power I have needs to be set in the context of this reality that I live in, this mournful acceptance of who I am as a person before the gospel, before the before 
before Jesus comes, and that is this sense of meekness, because my own understanding has to be this understanding that I have no power on my own to satisfy these issues of of my own poor in spirit, my own mourning of that condition. And notice, too, that the, the objects of these, the kingdom of heaven, the comfort, those are both coming from outside the individual, not from inside the individual. Yes, and, and, and now this idea of meekness, right? Uh, Lloyd-Jones actually talks about this idea, saying it's a true estimation of oneself. Correct. Right. So it, it says it's, a, it's the right attitude of who we are, in relation to mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. and then uh, the outward manifestation of that, of understanding, having a true estimation of who we truly are, is going to then impact or affect uh, the way that we relate to others. Absolutely. Uh, so, and, and if we understand that condition of poor in spirit, and we understand that process of mourning of who we are, and we get into this position where we do have what Lloyd Jones calls is that proper estimation mm-hmm. and understanding of who we are, we push into that, and all of a sudden we do have this reality where we now are at that point where we're accepting the gospel. And, and, and again, the very next uh, beatitude, blessed are those who what? Hunger and, and thirst. thirst for righteousness. And that's a changed affection. Notice that. Notice that is, a hu- that is huge because that actually is a changed affection. Mm-hmm. Because when we, before, when we look at who, our condition as poor in spirit, as sinful and mean, hunger, thirst and righteousness is not, is not on our plate. That's not our, in our natural uh, maybe, self. Maybe natu- for self-righteousness, yeah, 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 but not for, exactly. In our yeah. natural self, that doesn't exist. That is the transformational quality that's happening right there. And, and you know, I, actually, this is one area where I, I love how Piper kind of puts this, this idea that uh, the things of God are, you know, uh, kind of like, and he, he gives the example of like honey or something like that. And he, you know, he might say, you know, in our natural state, you know, we taste that honey, you know, it's just nasty. We don't like it at all. We don't, it doesn't smell good. It doesn't taste good. Nothing about it is appealing to us whatsoever. And yet we have a transformation that occurs that suddenly now after that salvation has taken place, after that justification or once the sanctification begins, suddenly now this honey is all we want, right? That's mm-hmm. all we desire. That's all mm-hmm. that we are hungering mm-hmm. and thirsting for. Uh, and again, it takes a true transformation in order for that to actually take place from the old, the sinful, uh, 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 normal or uh, sinful um, state has to pass away right before this new can come. Yeah. All right. So we, we, we got been progressed us through mm-hmm. you know seeing that progression all right so great i, I want to pause for a moment and okay. kind of go back because the first one again with the blessed uh, are the poor in spirit all right mm-hmm. so i i the the more i've read this and studied the thing that i'm starting to see because ben made a point about how okay christ hasn't he hasn't died yet so from a mm-hmm. chronological standpoint he's kind of displaying the gospel before the actual crucifixion all right so using that, I, I think the first place we start with these is when you look, Paul's on this text, you look at like Luke chapter four, and he quotes a lot of different parts of Isaiah. And then, but what's interesting is like coming for the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the captive, right? Uh, Luke four eighteen and 19 to be specific. But at the end, after he says that, he says, today in the reading, this text has been fulfilled. I think that's where we start with the Beatitudes. I think what we see here is Christ is already making those types of statement. He's making mm-hmm. that type, like he is it, he's it, you mm-hmm. know? And so it's really hard. You made a great point, Chris. I think both of you made it, but Chris, I remember you saying like, or Ben, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, we have, we cannot just isolate these things. It's mm-hmm. really, you know, it's hard not to, you know, because there, there's so much depth in each statement, you know, mm-hmm. But the, it is one, we got to remember this was one talk, this was one preaching, this was one sermon, this was one time where Jesus is 
doing all this at once. And, and then I think what's also fascinating is at the end, you know, the last verse that mm-hmm. we call with the Sermon on the Mount, it's actually not Jesus speaking, it's the yeah. people saying, oh my goodness, this yeah. guy's taught yeah. with such authority, we've never yeah. seen it before. So I think we have to, you know, we have to kind of use all our other context clues that Scripture provides us to say, first and foremost, this text is about Jesus. Mm-hmm. This Absolutely. is Jesus. This is Christ. You know, and you can go through each one of these things, and you can see Christ fulfilling every one mm-hmm. of these, even the poor mm-hmm. in spirit. You know, you can see all of this where it's like, okay, this is who he is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, not not poor in spirit from like, hey, he had sin, but saying, you know, dealing with the um, the woe is man, if you will. So I, I just want to be, you know, I, I want to be careful for myself, particularly, and for those that I lead. Like, you know, I, we can start getting into these so much. It's like, okay, ascribe to this, subscribe to this, do this, do this, do this. And unintentionally, we can fail to see what? It's Jesus. That's it. So no, absolutely, he's right, and I think that's one of the reasons why I think for me the gospel interpretation of the beatitudes is so powerful is because again the gospel is Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing about the gospel that is about human effort, about human endurance, about human will. It's about Christ coming to us, right? Because when when Paul synop- gives a gives a synopsis of the gospel in in. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he says uh, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It's not about our sin. It's about what Christ did uh, as a remedy for our separation from God. So I think he's absolutely right. I think Andrew's absolutely right. That's up to three today. Uh, I think Andrew's absolutely right that the Christ is in every aspect of this. When you look at the poor in spirit, like, um, you know, I think back to, as Andrew was talking there, I was thinking back to, I think it was it was either Athanasius or Anselm, I can't remember which one it was right now, but he says that that which was not assumed, right, was not redeemed. And the point is, is that what Christ had to take on to himself in order to redeem it, right? He had, and again, this goes back to the, what Hebrews was talking about, that he was like one of his brothers, the, the reference back to Moses. But the idea there is, is that he was not sinful as we were, but he certainly took on our sins on the cross. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, even before you get to the cross, look at all the... The thing that gets me in the book of Hebrews is what? He suffered every temptation. Correct. I mean, Correct. like, and that's, you know, that's a whole different subject. But in the sense, it's, it's not where it's like he felt the pangs of what it mm-hmm. was like. I mean, this is something that, you know, we can debate at another time. But even when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out, well, I don't want to do this, mm-hmm. you know. And some people can say it's about the spiritual aspect. Some can say about the physical, you know, whatever it is, there's still something in him. that's like he knows this is the will of God. And he's like, oh. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's, so I think you got to see he is encompassing all things here. Right. So. Absolutely. So I think, again, the poor spirit, I think Andrew's absolutely right. I think uh, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Right. We just said like two minutes ago that Jesus has already said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because he's here. That's the point. He's here. So blessed are those who mourn. Did Jesus mourn for the reality of sin in the life of humanity? Of course he did. He literally stands over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you together like a mother mother hen gathers her, what was it, duck, hen, something. Anyway, gathers her chicks. No ducks. No ducks. Okay, so <laughs> gathers her chicks. So you, again, you see this process. And then again, what is the comfort for our mourning except Christ? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you come back to that. I think Andrew's absolutely right. Even as we progress through this and we think through this as a, 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 a sort of a bridge into the gospel, so to speak, the reality is that Christ is still present in all of it. So an- another thing I wanted to point out here, if we look at the Ten Commandments, right, going back to the, uh, to the Old Testament law uh, as well, what we see is the first four uh, of the commandments has to do with what relationship? 
vertical or horizontal. Vertical, it's a vertical, vertical relationship yeah. with God, right? Uh, and then uh, uh, five through uh, ten uh, mm-hmm. has to do with what? A horizontal, horizontal relationship with others, right? With each other. Mm-hmm. I think we see some of this here as well. And again, if we continue that kind of idea of mm-hmm. the progression of uh, of the gospel. I think we do see that sanctification actually kind of taking place sure, here. You know, absolutely. So we're, you know, we 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 stopped here at this idea of uh, being meek, of having a true estimation of ourselves, and then that leads us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Right? Doesn't mean we're we're carrying out the hunger and thirst for righteousness, but we have a hunger and a thirst for that. So we're striving right. for those things. Right. And notice the 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 answer that followed there too is that they'll be satisfied. Yeah. I mean, our our hunger and thirst for righteousness is not satisfied in our work; it's satisfied right. in the finished work of Christ. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Everything that we hunger and thirst for, every every temporal thing that we hunger and thirst for, is never, never enough, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet, like, like you said, that the hunger and thirst for righteousness is, is something that will be satisfied. We we then turn to blessed are the merciful, right? Uh, um, so we we understand the mercy that we've been given, afforded, uh, and 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 so what 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 does that also mm-hmm. mean? Well, now we're going to afford that same mercy to those around us. Then we move into the pure in heart. Well, here we are. We're hungering. We're thirsting for righteousness. We're we, we're understanding the the. the mercy we've been giving and being being merciful to others uh and now we we have this uh this purity of heart leading even to to going further being peacemakers right Mm -hmm. now we're 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 completely uh different from where we were uh you know when Mm -hmm. when we started this and then you know he goes on uh, and he mentioned you know blessed are those who are persecuted so much so i'm willing to so much so be a peacemaker uh, that I am uh, willing to and taking the the the, uh, example that christ has given us i'm willing for his sake Right to be persecuted, so that those mm-hmm. maybe even that are persecuting me, right, might see the goodness of God, right, might see mm-hmm. the goodness of uh, of the gospel. Yeah, and I think one of the things too is that even as we follow up into salt and light, it's the, the salt and light. He's talking about the character of how you live in the life and in the world, right? It's almost it, it, that's not almost. Excuse me, it's absolutely necessary for us to be transformed by the reality of the gospel, which is why the Beatitudes come first before we can be salt and light, because we're not going to be salt and light for goodness and righteousness in Christ mm. in the world until that is a reality in our own life. Yeah. And so we, uh, you know, we, we kind of see this progression. One, one, I think last thing, and, and, and we'll end this uh, particular episode and we're not going to get into what we kind of got into, into, into uh, verse three there a little bit, but uh, one last thing here that I wanted to mention, I know uh, JD Greer, the, current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the things that he mentions is that the gospel isn't merely like the diving board, right, mm-hmm. uh, 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 in which we, mm-hmm. you know, jump to the pool of mm-hmm. well, Christianity mm-hmm. or whatever, but uh, the gospel is actually the pool that we that we live in, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, another thing like Chandler, we, we already mentioned, one of the things he talks about is the idea that we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so as we, as we look at this, is it helpful for us to read through, think through the Beatitudes in a way uh, in which we're kind of seeing how God has, 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 has moved in our hearts, in our mm-hmm. lives, and as we see even our life progressing in this manner. So I, I would hope so. I mean, right. I, I would start with the, the if, you're, if you are growing in your faith and you're seeing Scripture and you're not seeing more of Jesus and you're not seeing less of yourself, then, then it's like, okay, pause for a little bit because then you're, you, know, you might not be grown in the right way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm just... I'm absolutely baffled when I read this text now. And I don't, I don't want any hyperbole. I don't need any of that. I don't care what it... I'm just baffled when I read this text now. And I'm like, my goodness, look at how good Jesus is. Mm-hmm. Look at who he is. Look at... Mm-hmm. Look, it's, I, I ain't got nothing. I don't bring anything to the table. You know what I mean? It's him. So that whole idea of the, you know, the gospel isn't the diving board, it's the pool. Man, that's hit me a lot in the last few years because it's just... This is, you know... It's all grace. It, every ounce of this is grace. Every, even the, you know, we get to the persecution, the end of the of these, right? 
you know, what does Paul say? It's, it's, that's been given to you to do like, it's even like, even that's a gift because why now you're Mm -hmm. in the fellowship of the, of the, of the suffering. And it's like, okay, that's a hard one. And there's a lot we could dive in because it can sound a little sadistic or whatever, but that's not the point of it, you know, but it's still what, like all of this, because you're getting ushered into this whole new family, this whole new way. It's not you. Jesus has done it. He is your righteousness. He's imputed it on you. So I don't know. It's just amazing to me. So, so the Beatitudes as gospel do make sense. Then is that what I'm hearing? I, th- I, th- I think it makes sense. And uh, in, in, you know, in my the only thing I would add, I don't, I that I wrote when you gave us those five that impossible <laughs> idea. Yep. I, I can understand that mm-hmm. a little bit. I can, yep. you know, I think that the standard because I look at Christ as being that standard, and without Him, I have no chance of doing it. Right. So, if we're looking at it that way, I can kind of agree with that one. But I love yep. Ben's take on it. So, I, I, great. I think as long as we're looking at it as uh, in our natural state, yeah, it, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, sure. But, you know, and again, Romans seven, right? We look at Paul. I do what I don't want to do. I, I don't do what I want to do, right? Uh, uh, so e- even even the Apostle Paul, who uh, you know, one of the, the you know the great Christians of, of all time, if you will, yeah, uh, certainly you know had struggles. Uh, uh, well, know, and I think that, even but. just following what Andrew was just saying too, like it, the gospel is an impossible standard mm-hmm. when we view it, try to view it from our own natural, yeah. Flesh. earthly, fleshly yeah. perspective. Yeah. The gospel is impossible. It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so, so the idea that this could be an impossible standard and the gospel at the same time, yeah, I'm actually good with that. Yeah, you got some else? Well, I, I mean, I don't know when we're going to wrap this up. Right I now. just wanted to, I wanted to go back to uh, people in exile. So, yes, with this idea, I just want you know, I, if you we appreciate you listening, you're hearing this, and you know, you may be thinking, oh man, this is a lot of Bible. Well, that's good. I just want to continually put this before you that how important it is to know this, to live this, to be this, mm-hmm. so that you can be. You know, we're getting ready to shut down this podcast and each one of us are going to go to our daily activities. You know, you've got clients to meet. I've got meetings to have. You've got whatever you've got to do at the church. And I don't mean to you, you've got a lot to do, you know, and we're going to all dive back into the election and all these things. But it's all the stuff that we talked about today that's going to root us and how we anchor us and how we handle all those things. So I just think it's really important. I just want to remind everybody. Yeah, of that. One, one of the things we talked about yesterday, too, at church was the reality that as we engage with the gospel, it ought to impact everything of how we how we engage with our voting, how we engage with politicians, how we how engage with political leaders, how we engage with believers, non-believers, how we do our job. The reality is, is that the gospel needs to infect and it needs to uh, color everything that we do in all those worlds. So even from a people next, how do we serve the welfare of the city through this particular Bible study? Not only are we edified and growing in Christ, but the reality is, is that this is a transformative moment for us. This is a transformative issue for us that we begin to seek the welfare of our city because now we can love our city better. Yeah, and, and I'll just kind of piggyback off of what both of you have said there, uh, and that is, uh, you know, we're, we're in this really highly uh, politicized, highly uh, polarized, right, uh, uh, environment, uh, and would it be good, right, for uh, to us to have individuals who are truly humble, who truly see themselves uh, properly, who are not only mourning for the sin in their own life, but are mourning for the sin and the injustice around them, right, uh, leading, yeah, yeah, leading to have, you know, that that true estimation uh, uh, of our of ourselves, and, and again, we're hungry and thirsting for true uh, uh, righteousness in the city around us where God has placed us. We're being merciful, right, uh, uh, to one another, uh, being pure in heart as, as best uh, we can be. Peacemakers? I mean, do we need peacemakers right, in this day and age? Yeah. Uh, and so is is this, uh, 
you know, can we relate to this text here in 2020? I mean, there's no doubt, right? There's no doubt about it. Can we do it in our flesh as we've stated over and over? Absolutely not. It's impossible, right? And I think it's important for us to understand, uh, and that's why it's so important for us to anchor ourselves in the Word and uh, mm-hmm. make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit each and every day. And Agreed. as we as we go through, you know, again, pick, take up our cross, follow Jesus wherever He may lead. Um, and so, uh, with that being said, um, yeah, uh, who wants to pray for us? Close I'll, I'll, Sorry, I'll pray. So. Thank you, man. Father, I just thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for your word. And I pray for everybody that's listening, um, including the three of us. I hope we we listened well to what we talked about, that we would just put our full faith and trust and hope in you, and that, Lord, we would see that your kingdom is here now, and we are to live it. And we do that through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that for us and for our listeners, and, Lord, uh, where we fall short and where we are still going after the, the world in our flesh, I pray that, God, we would have a greater uh, awareness of, of of you and a greater hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Hey, thanks, guys. As always, thank you for listening to People in Exile. For more information, visit the website, peopleinexile.com, and make sure to follow us on Facebook. Until next time, keep praying and seeking the welfare of your city.